Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with myself, Jamie, and my brother, Bobby. Good evening, Bob. How is everything going? Very well, thank you, Jamie. How are you? I am a little bit excitable, um, a little bit, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Just just full of beans, I guess. Um, I toyed with uh, doing a different intro and doing something silly and then decided not to. So we've, we've just gone standard, but maybe... Maybe we might start to mix it up a bit. I don't know. See how uh, creative we're feeling. Let's pretend we're professionals. We know what we're doing. But uh, definitely one of the reasons for it is this episode. Uh, T for three we are on. I had a quick look at the... Well, last week we was talking about the episodes in this in this series. And uh, one of the things I did was compare some of the, the ratings. And this is essentially the highest rated. So it's 8.9 on IMDb. Not that we will... Big. Call that the be or not be all and end all, but uh, generally a pretty good yardstick. Yeah, it's always a you know you've got to take all online reviews as a pinch of salt. I've watched some absolutely shocking ninety five percent rated Rotten Tomatoes movies in my time, and, and such <laughs> things. Um, but you know they are they are useful for things just like uh, any any review system. I'm not surprised. It is a it is a big episode. It feels like there's so much crammed into this episode. I, I don't know why. It just moves at a fast pace, but it doesn't feel rushed. But it feels very full yeah, as a complete contrast to Longest Night last week mm. where you know nothing happened really for, for half an hour. This was... And you're not just talking about our review of it when nothing happened for no, half an hour. No, no. But one of the reasons uh, that sort of came to light during some of the research was this was one of the episodes that really pushed the whole uh, extension to 45 minutes and most of that came from David Jason who was talking with Sullivan and one of the the main guys at the BBC because this episode particularly they cut loads from and there was a, a particular moment at the end um, that, that David Jason hailed as I can't remember what he said but uh, a, a masterpiece essentially and it, it was cut because they overran. They, they overran to 35 minutes. And as I think you alluded to before, David Jason was saying they were cutting loads of more good material than other sitcoms had in their arsenal anyway. Yeah, I can definitely see why this would be the episode that would that would be such a problem because, like you say, there is, it is very fast-paced. There is a lot of scenes. There, it seems like two or three moments in this episode which would have been highlights in other episodes which is not to insult other episodes it's just to point out how many big moments there are in this one it's uh, it, it's an episode that crescendos multiple times throughout and yeah it's it's really good definitely so that information it's probably good to get down to what is probably one of the best 30 minute episodes and launch straight into series 5 episode 4 T for 3 <laughs> I wrote in my notes T four three, just because I'm really cool. Just thought I'd let you know that. <laughs> Good. So we open up in the night's head. Um, we get to see Trigger nice and early. I think we said a couple of episodes ago that we hadn't really seen Trigger in ages. So that was uh, great. He doesn't play a massive part in this episode, which is a shame. But it, it is good to see his stupid face. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got some, you know, nice normal lines. Like, obviously, there's jokes in there. And he says some 
some sort of triggerisms almost but he's being kind of like normal which is is always quite nice to see kind of he's he is more of a full flushed out character than just a a complete maniac but yes it's a busy night at the nag Z. it's uh it's talent night <laughs> And you can see the place is absolutely ramo. They've had a few of these events at the Nag Zed. They uh, were selling tickets to a party and watching the girls go by. There was Spanish night back in the day. And this is another big night. And it's funny to see Dell like, kind of frustrated by how busy and loud and everything it is. This is, like, a really uh, cliche thing, I think, when people's local pubs get full for an event and they're just, like, really irritated by it. It's a thing I've seen many times. It's like, get out of my local. I don't want there to be lots of people in here. I don't care about the landlord making money. I want easy access to the bar. Yeah, that is, uh, that's one of the priorities of, of being in a bar is, is that easy access. Yeah. <laughs> um, so having a bit of to and fro and, and uh, having a chat at the bar and Albert rather coyly and somebody walks in and has a, a bit of chat and we learn that Aunt Ada, his wife, who they haven't spoken really in years is quite ill and he's obviously feeling a bit cut up about it yeah it's funny he's definitely feeling quite emotional and uh, he's getting absolutely zero sympathy from Dell and Rodney like they're, <laughs> they're, they're not interested in the uh, emotional importance of this moment for him at all oh, I don't know the, the first reaction from them is really like it's not in it's not sincere because they're they're feigning it because they don't even know who she is. But their initial reaction is of like, oh no, what a choker. That sounds really bad. But then when Trigger asks who, they, who it is, they're like, oh, yeah, no idea. It could be anyone. Your Aunt Ada's been rushed into hospital yeah. in a bad way by all accounts. No, that's a shame, isn't what it? What a choker. Exactly. They 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 don't really care. They they yeah pretend to maybe care the tiniest bit. But uh, I, I thought it was very, very nicely delivered. A uh, few lines from uh, from Buster Merrifield there, like it was very good. You could actually see he was he was proper choked up. And uh, bless Trigger, who then says he's going to go and uh, cheer him up. And I just love it. You've never heard them say a word to each other ever. I just love the idea of like you know, Trigger wandering over him with some what jokes. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was just about to say he'd definitely cheer me up, and then I was thinking. Watching Trigger as as a viewer of the episode, he cheers me up. If he was my actual friend and I was actually down in the dumps, I'm not sure if it would cheer me up or just make me angry. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, you just remember at the start of Hullenback when he's just having a chat at the bar with Rodney and the two of them are on like completely different pages and having two essentially separate conversations. Like I imagine that's what it's always like talking to Trigger. I can imagine it's uh, can be quite a painful experience. And we get uh, Dell doing his sales pitch again at the bar, and this time he's trying to hook in Mike. And there's this very sort of well-rehearsed bit from Rodney and Dell, and they're, they're both, like, lent in over the <laughs> bar. Rodney's head's, like, right next to Dell, and you can see that basically Dell's he swings something and it's a miss. Then Rodney, like, plonks an extra iron on it, and then Dell swings and it's a miss. It's, it's a really good bit. Yeah, it's good fun. Nice little, uh, nice little tag team. But did you think it was odd that they're selling sunbeds? Like, that's a massive item. That's like a big, probably quite expensive thing. 
I mean, it's hardly something he's going to take a, a, a suitcase full of down to the market, is he? Like, that's going to be annoying to get rid of. Yeah, I don't know how many he has, but it is a little bit more unique. But I guess that's part of the the idea of John Sullivan is just just sometimes just to go for some absolutely mad stuff. And realistically, would would they'll do it? Yeah, if he thought there was an earner in there, I'm sure you probably would would take him on. It would be nice to mention here the uh, the singer in the background who's uh, really getting on Dell's nerves as he's trying to make this sale. There's a woman singing in the talent show very well, I might add. Like, she, this is clearly not your average pub talent show singer. Wasn't to my liking. Really? I thought she was pretty good for, you know, I thought she was far too good for the setting. Yeah, she could sing. Exactly. Point made. I mean, we've, we've had many people sing in pubs and... Uh, She's definitely better than the average. Did Did you notice what she was singing? I've forgotten. Uh, I I got a bit obsessed because I was like, I know that song and I really like it. I haven't heard it for ages, so I, I did just double check, and it's uh, "I Who Have Nothing," which is a really classic ballad, and it's been done by loads of people. It was actually originally an Italian song translated to English, and then most famously done by uh, Shirley Bassey and Tom Jones. But I think. Uh, Together or independently? No, independently, both with right. just slightly different versions, both of which are incredibly good. Uh, I, I ended up listening to like six different versions of this song after the episode just because I was like, this is such a tune. Uh, but ben, I think Benny King did the first English version, but oh, okay. uh, it's the Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey's the ones that are most famous. But yeah, tune. So Del and Rod are just about to leave the bar, but they get a shout from the other side, and it is Lisa, who's Trigger's niece that he mentioned a few moments ago. And they're they're rushing off down in their drinks, but they glance over and, you know, she's quite the looker. She's a beautiful girl and it kind of changes everything. And they kind of fall over each other straight away trying to uh, to get the first word in. Yeah, it is just instant game faces from both of them, isn't it? Like straight away, they're both on the prowl. I did recognise her um, and I, I do hate like oh, yeah? stealing some of your bits but i do naturally have to look it up for my interest anyway and i realized what it was that i that i recognized her from um she actually had done loads of stuff even prior to this this is 1986 bear in mind that she looked quite young she'd actually been working since 1971 and had 20 plus different roles even before any falls which we don't really see too much especially from pretty young mm. cast members i don't know how old she would have been but not that old but she continued to work and did loads of stuff and what i knew her from her name's jerry cowper i think you probably say that and she's in eastenders and she played uh, a car i don't watch eastenders but i recognize the character I was as soon say, as I you saw recognize her. her from eastenders oh, you know it gets played I you'd and you recognize you, someone you see clips of it and you know someone else is watching it and gets quoted but you know, I just see some of the new characters. But yeah, but I didn't realise that she was still so active. She was in EastEnders until five years ago or something. So um, so yeah, I had no idea that she was effectively a very well-known actress. I really like her acting of the character. I think everything she does is bang on to character and she makes it all very believable. But I really don't like the character straight away. She comes across as very just kind of dippy. Bubbly. Yeah, but more just kind of like flaky. Like straight away she's like, oh, hi, hi, everyone's best friend. And like giving Rodney a hug and a kiss before she even knows who he is. And it's she's just a bit like try hard, you know? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's no point in going into this 
drilling down on the personality, but there is a crossover, a really fine edge of someone who is just naturally lovely and someone who is almost contrived lovely. I don't know, but yeah. but she, I didn't, I didn't really think of it too much like that. I just thought she was she was fine as a character. I was thinking it's a it's another um, well acted but not particularly likable female character in <laughs> early Only Fools. I, I generally can't recall one that I really like yet. There must have been one. Corin, I think. Corinne, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was great. I I think, yeah, even though she she's not likable, but I liked her. All the <laughs> so many of the others are meant to be likable and I don't like them. But they do have a little sit down and we just get really quickly a bit of sort of chest puffing and there's sort of this testosterone fight over Lisa. And I, I don't know if it's just... This is dangerous ground and you could just feel it straight away. Something about it, 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 it just feels tense. Even though it's really funny, they're literally just one-upping each other the whole time. There's this really kind of feel of atmosphere. I don't know if, I don't know if it's the anticipation of what I know is going to happen, but something about it just felt really, really weird. I, I don't know if it's because it's close to home and, you know, I think about some of the arguments that we had, but something about it felt weird for me. Did, did you get any of that? I felt really awkward because I've had it definitely with you and with close friends where not necessarily over a girl, but just in an argument generally in front of people, you realise that all you're doing is both crashing and burning hard and you're just taking the other one down faster with you. And it's never a fun experience. And to watch these two do it to each other is, yeah, like it's funny, but it, it, there is quite unpleasant. And I did write that I didn't really, I enjoyed it because it's funny, but if you think about it, it's actually, it is quite unpleasant. I think it really shines the light on some of the, the darker parts of our, not R, me and you, but but R as the human race, but but also R, <laughs> you know, defects and what we do. I actually wondered if we'd ever actually had that with a girl before. I mean... Yeah, I thought about that too. Me and Bobby are two years apart, so theoretically there could have been loads of instances where even 16, 18, 14, 16, 12, 14, like all of these ages we could have had some kind of a fight over a girl, but I'm not sure we ever went for the same girl or ever had anything like this before. I really don't think we did. I think we had different tastes or I think we were maybe just in relationships at varying times. I can't think of many times in our kind of older life where we were necessarily, by older I mean just anything over 16, but we were even both single at the same time. That probably had a large plan to play in it, to be honest. I guess there was that period in in university for the first few years, but then... Yeah, I did know. I'd never remember it really being a thing. I think whenever we, because you moved out quite early, whenever we hung out, it was like very kind of party, laddie feel. Like I don't think of parties and nights out that we had ever being about picking up girls. No, I think we probably went out clubbing, as it were. But you don't really ever go for the same girl clubbing like that. It would be more like that sort of in the local or family parties or something like that. But I don't mm. think that we just never had that conflict of interest. I mean, I was wondering about problems that we had when we were younger and that whole brotherly stuff. And we probably were at loggerheads for a real long time. Like we always got on reasonably well, but we had some crazy fights until what about 16 or 18 and just kind of plateaued <laughs> and, and moved out. <laughs> yeah. And just kind of, just kind of got on with it. But, 
I don't think we'd ever been in this situation, but something about it, I think probably what you were saying about uh, just trying to out... We've definitely been in situations where friends and or family are around and we're trying to discredit the other. And yeah. I think that probably is part of it that felt a bit close to home and a bit bit awkward. Yeah, I think you, that's the right term. Like when you when you two of you are sitting there just trying to discredit the other one, just just take the other one down. It's it always ends terribly. Just don't just don't don't do it to your friends. Don't do it to your family. Just yeah. stop it. <laughs> Even if one of you is massively right, you still both end up looking like a dick. In it, yeah, it's just not worth it. Because if you are the best, but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. So. While they're sitting down having a chat, Albert suddenly pipes up and, and starts wanting to dedicate a song to Ada. I'd like to sing a very special song for a very special lady who unfortunately ain't with me tonight. I'd like to think this song was named after my dear sick wife. It is that beautiful old ballad, Ada. <laughs> Ada. Is there a song called Ada? And one of the things that I read was that this was cut on almost every platform except for gold. So I'm wondering if you saw it on your Britbox. Yeah, it, it I did. It wasn't cut. I'd read that it was cut in a lot of places. I think it was cut for a time and then has recently become uncut again is maybe the inclination I got. Oh, well, that's great news. It means that you did get to see it again, which is fine. I did actually come across this video. I was searching for a few things and there were, I, I don't want to like speak bad on paste names or anyone, but it was alluding to different parts that were cut from this episode. But it was really put together poorly and it's kind of hard to understand what they were trying to get across and the dissection they're talking about that had been cut but it gave the impression that loads of parts of it had been cut in different places but i watched it on uk tv gold e- anyway so it was all there so i don't i don't it was <laughs> it was hard to actually extract any sort of useful information from it tediously i think obviously uh, th- things being cut on tv especially in fools and horses is an incredibly uh, topical and tetchy subject and something that we typically don't go anywhere near and I will continue to not go anywhere near for the most part. But I, I will just say one thing, which is I do seem to see a lot online that a lot of the cuts that people do complain about are actually cuts made for musical copyright reasons rather than reasons of anything else. Although, of course, there are many other cuts for different reasons depending on where it's being shown, what time and whatever, and, you know, that's that. That's the the broadcaster's right. But uh, the, a lot of it is just music-based, and I think that's what this cut originally was. So so did you actually get the joke here of when they were saying, there, is there even a song called Ada? No, I don't think so. No, ne- well, I didn't either, but I researched so the way they said it, it suggested, and the fact that the audience laughed when he started singing, was that he'd changed, he'd misheard the words or changed the words unknowingly uh, to this song. So when he starts singing, the actual song is Hey There. Oh, really? Yes. 
um, which is uh, it was originally from a um, a Broadway show. I think it was it was called uh, Pajama Game, and uh, the first version sort of released was by uh, a lady named Rosemary Clooney, um, but was then also covered uh, quite famously by Sammy Davis Jr. Hey there, you with the stars in your eyes. Um, and again, several other people, but yeah, it's uh, hey there, not or hey there, not Adar. <laughs> it's got a bad mishearing. It's odd that it could be a thing, but it was obviously a song that lots of people knew at the time. Did you listen to it? Um, yeah, I did. It was nice. I particularly cool. enjoyed the Sammy Davis uh, version. Oh, cool. All right, noted. So we go on to scene two in the flat. We've got Buster Murrayfield laid out on the sofa. Uh, even before he gets up, I've got to be honest, he just looks in really good shape. Yeah. I mean, he so, so he's 66 at this point, and... He's in better shape than we are. <laughs> <laughs> and coincidentally enough, he was born on the 23rd of June, 1920. So it's actually almost 100 years ago, precisely, give or take a couple of weeks, that, that Buster Merrifield was born. So a uh, mm. little bit of celebration, a little bit of cheers. To Buster Berryfield there, but yeah, kind of mad to think that that he was alive in 1920. Whenever you get to like pre-war years, it just seems like such a long time ago. 1920 kind of feels unfathomable to me, really. Yeah, I mean, he literally been 19, perfect, being called up time when World War Two broke out. So that's going to be uh, his his 19 to 24 uh, of his life was was World War Two? I mean, I know what I was doing between 1924 and it wasn't fighting in a war. Yeah, pretty mad. I mean, I know that at some point in the later episode, and I think it's series six or seven, like he does some shadow boxing and he's like, <laughs> yeah, and like pissing around. That's very funny. But um, he, he gets up in a second as well. I mean, it's loosely fast holding. And even when he gets up, like, you know, he's toned. He's got biceps and his calf muscles are good and just in really fit shape. Yeah, he's not just a skinny old man. Like he's clearly, he clearly works out. You don't notice it under his duffel coat and beard normally, but then when he's in his string vest, you're like, "Fair play, Buster." So Del strolls in and he's listening off all this nice food he's got. He's got chicken Italiano and all these other uh, lovely stuff. Uh, Rodney's got a little something too. Anyway, I got off all the grubbing for me and Lisa's tea tonight. Yes, well, I've made a contribution too. Oh, have ya? Well, I got chicken Italiano, fruit salad, and dream topping to follow. <laughs> what are you bought? Cheese. Cheese. So th- this this dinner is brought up many times. Obviously, first here, and then they talk about it when they eat the dinner, and they talk about it again the next day as well. And it's really bigged up. It it's chicken Italiano, which I mean. That can be anything. It's just Italian. It's probably just like a Italian chicken, in, chicken in white sauce. Yeah, some sort of wine or whatever. I, I kind of tried to Google see if there was like an official thing that it might have been, but there's just chicken with pasta or rice, uh, like risotto rice or whatever. But no, this isn't with pasta or risotto rice. It's with packet smash. I mean, how fancy <laughs> a meal is this? Yeah, chicken and smash. Yeah, it's not haute cuisine, is it? It's amazing how much they all go. It, it wouldn't be a big deal, but it gets mentioned about five or six times how great a meal it is and how fancy and great. It's like chicken and smash, mate. Didn't even yeah. peel a potato. I'd rather have had the cheese. <laughs> yeah, actually. 
Good shout. Uh, but uh, straight away we we start they start to get into an argument again, Dan and Rodney, and I just got that feeling of uncomfortability as well again, and and just I don't know something about it just sort of niggled me a bit. Um, and Albert quite rightly that pipes up and and says things to the the tune of the fact that he had fallen out of his brother for years because of a girl. Um, but one of the great things that about Albert is he's wearing this really awesome Rabsy Nesbit string vest. Do you think yourself, though? No, I certainly do not. You should, it might unpuckle your face a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, you don't see very often anymore. And uh, I've done a little bit of a rabbit hole here. How could you possibly have gone down a rabbit hole about string vests? You're going to love this. This is great. So I was curious as to what the point of a string vest was. Like, genuinely. Like, was it to cover modesty as, like, some kind of not showing the body but quite cool? Or was it, like, an underlayer that kind of bulked you out a little bit? Because I have actually worn a string vest before. It was a a friend's one. And it was was like ten sizes too small. So I just... It It looked like a gammon. Yeah, it just looked like a fucking gown. <laughs> um, but it, but it, they're quite thick. This the string vests, and I was like, "What's the whole point of it?" So I did some research, and you're not going to believe this. Go on. So the string vest was invented in 1933 by Henrik Brunn, a commandant in the Norwegian army. Well, hey. String vests took a scientific approach to keeping warm by trapping insulated pockets of air close to the skin. The government had its heyday in the 1950s, blah, 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 blah. But he also found out that they were often referred to as Norwegian string vests. So uh, Norwegian's contribution to fashion, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the string vest. I'm pretty sure I've never seen a string vest in Norway. Clearly no. they that, that's an exported uh, fashion rather than one they, they take on much themselves. But we, we don't really get the weather for it here. But how cool is that? That is very, very random. Good, good find. I mean, don't get the weather for it there. It's supposed to be against the cold. Yeah, I guess so, true. But Norwegians are, in my experience, when it comes to keeping out the cold, are just absolutely obsessed with wool. I don't know if I've had this rant with you before, but the amount of times a Norwegian has felt the need to point out to me the importance of wool in layering during cold weather. I've genuinely had the conversation with 50 different people. They're not wrong, though, are they? I mean, they're completely right, and we all know it, so stop going on about it. (laughs) (laughs) it's not new information to me i'm aware wool is great when it's cold wear wool yes cotton is crap wool is great but i was really happy with that i was really uh pleased to find out that it came from norway uh i'll never look at rabsy nesbit the same again (laughs) nice it's uh, but yeah about that um about the little uh, story there from Albert talking about him and granddad i really liked that i thought that was probably albert's best granddad style monologue to date even even though they're not really paying attention exactly or they don't obviously heed his advice it's very nicely delivered and and emotional and you really listen and kind of sit up in a way that i used to do with granddad uh so it was really nice i enjoyed it yeah it was a really underplayed it it wasn't mm. it, i guess it was a monologue but not really it didn't have the same sort of setting or scene that granddad would would have had for some of his stuff but it it hit hard very quickly and it did sort of play on this this heartstring and you did feel it even though it wasn't oversold so yeah completely it's completely agree with that 
But he's done. Albert's had enough of it, so he decides that he wants to head off to the Legion. And Rodney decides that he wants to get a little bit of sleep under the uh, the rays and tone himself up a little bit. Have you ever used a sunbed? Pretty sure. I think I've actually laid on one, but not with it on. I don't know how or where, but I'm pretty, pretty sure I've seen one and laid on it, but it, I didn't turn it on. Maybe I did like sneakily, like I was in someone's house and they had one. And I was like, <laughs> oh, going to have a little lay on that. I must know someone. Who, I must have known someone who had one or been in a spa at some point. But but anyway, no. It, this is one of the like the full body ones now, where you lay on the glass mm. on the bottom and the top. But. Yeah, yeah. I I used one for the first time about I don't know about four or five years ago. I think the missus talked me into uh, going and having a little sit on a sunbed or something. It's not something that either of us do. Um, thankfully, obviously, very bad for you. But for some reason, we did it a couple of times. I think it was the middle of the winter, and we were just feeling depressed and wanted some vitamin D. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of you know warming and nice, and I I kind of get it. It's just a shame it's so massively bad for you. It probably does do you some great favors. To be fair, living in Norway when you don't see the sun for six months during winter, it probably does actually increase some of your mood. Yeah, I mean, vitamin D supplements in a Norwegian winter are strongly advised. Matt, that is absolutely mad. That's where it all comes from, there's a mystery. It's like the changing of the seasons and the tides of the sea. So while Rodney is laying on a solarium, Albert's going off on a bit of a, a yarn about him and his brother, but he's fallen asleep and, and he heads off. And then Del is just about to exit as well and realises there's a pretty good opportunity for a prank and we get a really sort of nice classic David Jason laugh as he walks out <laughs> oh he's gone to sleep bless him <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get a nice tan for the girl then do you <laughs> I'll give you a nice tan alright <laughs> <laughs> just turns it up to instant cancer and walks yeah. out the door chuckling to himself. So, yeah. N- nice one, Del. It quickly cuts to Del and Lisa at dinner, and we get Rodney coming around the corner, not looking his best. Oh, I really think Rodney should go to hospital with his face. Yeah, I know, I've been telling him that for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The white suit was definitely a stroke of genius. Was it? Uh, not by Rodney, the character, but by the show and oh, the, right. uh, you know the cost by the costume designer. <laughs> yeah, but for Rodney, it's absolutely insane. It's, he literally couldn't wear anything worse. Um, but for, yeah, it, it it showed it off in a, in a good way. Although to be honest, they could have made him redder. I actually thought the makeup was perfect. I, I thought it, I thought it's a really hard thing to do in makeup is sunburn, and actually I thought that it looked really convincing. Like you wouldn't be just red; you'd you'd probably actually be physically burnt. And I thought he did look quite burnt. So I think they really nailed it. I've got a, some of the makeup. Um, you know, there's been moments that's been a bit dodgy, but that was that was on point for me. Yeah, you could see like the the kind of veining on his skin and stuff, which was which was quite cool. But Dale continues to go for the jugular and is basically just slaying Rodney every second. Lisa has no sympathy whatsoever and is just laughing her absolute tits off at everything that Dale says. <laughs> She's just such such a muppet. And, and at one point she goes on about um, Richard Gere and 
you know, I'm sure there's lots of Richard Gere fans out there, but that says Simpleton to me more than anything. Guy is incredibly dull. Yeah, I, I, I can't really comment on anything about the bloke, really. Yeah, yeah, no mind. Uh, so we're sort of moseying along in this battle between Dell and Rodney, and Adele decides to do uh, one of Dell's ego trips, and, and suddenly comes out that he was a paratrooper, and also somehow gets Rodney to go along with it just through a stern look and it's just another moment of madness from Dale like as always like he, he pushes it all the time and then like if he just if he just reined it in a little bit he would get away with so much but there's always that he always goes that one bit too far yeah. like paratrooper mate really yeah it just it didn't have to go that far and it's amazing that he does get you know he really doubles down by getting Rodney by asking Rodney, because he could have easily just gone, no, you, you're talking shit. So it, it's so brave to say something so outlandish and then instantly be like, isn't that right, Rodney? We get a little French phrase from Dell. He says, uh, l'état, c'est moi, which is, I am the state. <laughs> good. Which actually, it sounded quite good in that one. It's It's one of the ones that actually sounded like it might have been all right. <laughs> but but it wasn't. <laughs> Definitely not. So eventually the meal comes to a close and uh, Dell offers to, to drive Lisa home. And uh, as he kind of sneaks off to, to find the van keys, Rodney has come up with a, a cheeky little plan and he takes Lisa to one side. And um, she'd mentioned having some hand gliding friends and he suggested that maybe, as Dell's such a keen ex-paratrooper, maybe she could help these people come together. Um, there was one little thing he said in this bit, which is uh, that it was for his 46th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a lot of people complaining about that online, saying that that didn't work continuity-wise. But for me, it was pretty obvious that that was a joke. That's like Rodney deliberately making Dell older to kind of shoot him down. Did you pick up that? Yeah, like even his... Yeah, like even Rodney's mannerism, he's sort of like touching his hair and looks like he's potentially Joking. lying as he says it. I didn't... Yeah. I didn't think about the actual continuity. What would what would he be then? Forty three. He's like he's like thirty five. He, he was thirty five a couple of series ago. So I mean, he's not. He's sixteen years older than Rodney, and Rodney was what twenty four. So he's maximum forty. Yeah. But it for me it was really obvious that that was a joke. But there was surprisingly large number of people I saw on different websites online writing full paragraphs about no, this would be his actual age. And it was like yeah, but it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> what I really loved about this whole exchange with Lisa who's bang up for the idea was when Rodney puts on his really really sincere voice at the <laughs> end and it's just the funniest thing you know what his ambition is what? to hang glides <laughs> <laughs> you know being the old ex-paratrooper it's only natural isn't it so do you reckon your mates could arrange for him to have a little flight no problem they'd be Oh, that'd be great. You've you've made me realise something that I thought and didn't write down. I actually thought this in the car today. I don't know why I thought in the car, because I was listening to um, one of our episodes. Once I edit an episode, either me or Bobby or both of us will listen to it, check that there's no errors and so on. And often that sort of brings up new material. And I was thinking that I'd said in a previous episode that Rodney was looking more mature. But actually, I think this is a real transition time for Rodney. The first 
think about how much we slagged off Rodney for the first three or four series. <laughs> like, honestly, Pretty he bad. was he he was stupid. He was just always complaining about stuff. He was just he was just a pain in the ass. And actually, ninety percent of the episodes we were just like Rodney's being a dick. But actually, his character is really matured, and in a really good way. He's He's predicting stuff that Dale's doing. He's he's funny and he, he's definitely being more intelligent and I guess a bit more streetwise. And with this this episode as well, there's just this kind of I don't know. He's coming back on Dale, and I guess that shows some some wit as well coming into it, which which Rodney's been pretty short on. But I think this is a real good time to start enjoying Rodney's character, whereas I don't think. I think the first four series, you don't really enjoy Rodney's character. He definitely accentuates Dale and there's the dynamic. But independently, we're now really getting a lot of more good stuff from Rodney's character, which I think gives Nicholas Lindhurst loads more artistic license as well. And and I think you generally start to really like Rodney. Yeah, I think maybe having watched more of some of the later series is maybe where I is where I got my appreciation for Rodney. And then it was probably when we were going back and really analysing those early series that he frustrated me so much. So it is nice to see see Rodney growing up. And this is definitely something we'll continue to kind of track as we go. You know, Rodney just getting a, a little bit older, a little bit wiser. I mean, it's all relative, of course, to Rodney. But relative to Rodney, he's uh, he's definitely becoming better, more interesting. So we get a quick cut to the countryside. Um, really beautiful looking place. Do you know where this is that it's filmed? Um, I I heard a few places suggested, but no, I haven't got one concreted down. So it's filmed at uh, Buster Hill, uh, coincidentally, which is uh, South Downs in England. It's only four, uh, only fifty minutes away from from where I live, so not too bad. It's actually a little nature reserve as well, so I might have to head there with my camera and see what's see what's going down. Ha! See what's going down. Very good. You, uh, you, you've definitely never been hang gliding, right? Definitely never been hang gliding. I'd love to. I, I, I have a really weird thing about things that I like to do. So I'm I'm a bit of adrenaline junkie and I, I love to do anything that's, you know, a little bit mad and crazy, What whatever you want to say, like skydiving, bungee jumping and so on. There's one thing I wouldn't ever do that scares the hell out of me. A lot of people are quite confused by it. And it's a hot air balloon. Oh, really? Not necessarily related to this, but I guess there's probably similarities between that and the hang gliding. But yeah, a hot air balloon, like something about it, like uh, I would tightrope across two mountains with a harness and and feel no fear. Or if I had a parachute, I'd feel no fear because, you know, you have the parachute. Yeah, it might not open, but that is your safety. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that in a hot air balloon, if something goes wrong... There is no safety. They don't have parachutes on board. They don't have another hot air balloon. So if it starts to go down, that's it. You're, you're screwed. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the theory is they very rarely would go down fast. They're pretty slow-moving things. But if something goes wrong, like if it caught fire, for example, which doesn't seem that outlandish considering it's held up by fire. <laughs> yeah, the, the air, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I guess. But something it, about... It's... Ha- the hang glider feels like you've got a bit more control as well. It's not as though the high balloon has a rudder or you steer it. You go up and you just hope the wind takes you in the right direction. At least with the <laughs> hang glider, you can actually steer the thing. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's quite. It's a fairly popular 
hobby over here actually obviously being very mountainous there's plenty of places to do it from like plenty of people do it from um Ulrichen, the highest mountain in bergen which me and you have, have hiked around uh, before uh, plenty of people jumping off there whenever the weather's appropriate and plenty of other places uh where people do it um my missus brother does it i used to have a work colleague who who'd gotten into it it's, uh, can, it's a... can you uh solo hang glide off a single lesson or whatever or do you have no, to no, get you have, qualified if, if you want to do solo, you have to do a, a course, but you right, can obviously yeah. tandem straight away. It's quite pop. It, it's a very popular um, stag party or uh, hen party thing to do um, to start the day with the the groom or bride jumping off of a, the mountain in town in a in a tandem. I've had two friends do it for their uh, stag do's. Do you have any idea how much it costs for a little tandem jump off a mountain? Um, off the top of my head, no, no idea. 100, I imagine, I imagine quid. expense. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm just plucking a number out of thin air, but uh, it's it's a very popular thing to do. Plenty, loads of people do it. But that segues us nicely into another bit of trivia. So, um, David Jason was actually a qualified hang glider, and um, he really enjoyed it. He's also a scuba diver, which I I didn't know either. Um, one of the things that was that was uh, joined with those two bits of information was. And he swims with dolphins. It's like you don't need a license to do that. <laughs> what, are you, yeah. what are you talking about? He he's done a lot of the uh, the the bell diving, right? Isn't that a thing that I've, I'm sure I've seen him on TV doing that? Like the um, base jumping. No bell diving. We have like the uh, the the like old school like metal suit, and you're like got tethered with a big glass helmet. Oh, um, called bell diving, to... isn't it? Some some kind of surface supply. I can't remember what they call it. The the new version of it is called something like ocean floor walking because you walk on the floor. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Here we go. Um, diving bell. Yeah, it's like a diving bell suit, I think, or something. Because a diving bell is usually a structure. What I'm talking about. Yeah, diving bell helmet. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm just dreaming it because he maybe wears one in an Only Fools and Horses episode. I might be just making it up. Well, he does wear a diving suit in Only Fools and Horses, doesn't he? Yeah, that sort of diving suit. I swear I've seen him on TV underwater in one of them, but you now I think about it, I might, I might just be crossing over loads of random things. Definitely projecting the uh, the fiction into the real world there. Entirely possible. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, so yeah, David Jason is a hang glider. He, he did want to do this scene himself and actually do the stunt, but um, obviously the... They just wouldn't have got insured, so that they weren't able to do it with him. But the interesting thing that I heard off the back of that was uh, he really enjoyed hang gliding, but because of this scene, he went hang gliding a couple of times after it, and obviously people would see him knowing that he'd done a hang gliding scene, and it would attract all sorts of attention, and and people would be laughing or thinking it was a bit or whatever, and, and it put him off, and I don't think he did much hang gliding after, just because of his ties to now this scene so it might well have sort of destroyed one of his passions ah that is deeply unfortunate so we should get into the actual scene here the suspense is is instantly broken Dell knows what the plan is and he's instantly freaked out what? you want me to go up in one of them wing things? (laughs) (laughs) but no no it's all right, not today, darling. No, you see, I'm uh, not in the mood. And uh, yeah, they they talk for a few minutes. They meet um, Lisa's friend and talk about how they're going to get it done. Dell's trying to talk out of it, but no one's really buying it because he's clearly sold the story of himself being a paratrooper far too well. 
and uh, yeah, he's he's then pleading with Rodney for for a, an idea. Yeah, and this this feels like real desperation from Dell. He's really uh, he's really looking for that get out of jail, and and I'm not sure if it's like fair play from Rodney or heartless from Rodney, but Rodney plays along really really well. Um, seems very convincingly like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll sort you out, mate. Let's do it. That's fine. You know, bygones be bygones. No hard feelings. He does eventually. I mean, to begin with, I, he's not having any of it. In fact, he shoots down an idea of Dell's, saying, you know, you can't say you've got a headache. You can't have a green berry with a headache. Yeah, Dell's not afraid. He said he wants to keep his feet firmly on terracotta, which tickled me that line. But this was just a real joke of a minute, Daily. This this little exchange between Rod and Dell. It was really the both of them working brilliantly and lots of funny laughs. And one of the funniest bits is definitely one of the Dell mannerisms when Rodney goes, No, 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 we'll get on the car phone and Dell's doing his like nodding his head around, like, oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. Got to go London idea and so on. And um, yeah, just a brilliant dialogue and physicality in this minute. And it's all very quick, you know, like I said, it we're kind of rushing. This episode does feel not rushed, but but quick fire, you know, and this is quick fire jokes and they're talking quickly and there's this like tempo that feels good and, and actually what you get for that is lots of laughs and lots of jokes without it actually spoiling the story because there is a sense of urgency because Dale has to, you know, sort something out before he goes up. So it just works brilliantly. Yeah, it's a really nicely well put together scene and you have that, that the tension and the stress from Dell and you know, Rodney's idea is is a good one. You know, don't worry. You know, we'll get a last minute phone call and it'll sweep you away and and everything will be cushy. And uh, yeah, like you say, that little head nod. You know, what can you do? Like, is uh, I love it. I I always love that Cockney neck thing. But yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it seems like a flawless plan. What could go wrong? Yeah, and Dale just uh, all of a sudden is filled with beans and uh, and suddenly gets all this confidence and is shouting up that he can't wait to get involved. Hey, uh, Andy, come on then, hurry up. I'm getting a bit impatient to be off, aren't I? <laughs> he don't know, does he? <laughs> so we cut again, and Dale is now fully clothed in all his hang gliding gear, literally ready to jump. Looking a bit concerned, but also he, he knows it's all going to be fine. And there's just this, uh, some really awkward looks between Dell and Rodney. And I really love that there's a good few seconds here where everyone's going, hang about, is is Rodney not going to say anything? I think Rodney might not say anything. Oh my God, Rodney's definitely not going to say anything. And like you can see this going through. Dell's brain and David Jason plays it brilliantly. The crowd, uh, the crowd, the audience are slowly catching on as well, and you just get the more and more ripple of laughter. And yeah, it's it's really nicely done. It just all goes unsaid at first. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It's one of those things that I, that I always do is is not being able to try. Sometimes I think I look at it from the perspective of never seeing it before and try and get it. And then sometimes I just can't put myself in those shoes. And uh, that was definitely one of those moments that I hadn't really thought about. You, you probably don't see it coming that, that he's going to do it because... No, you definitely don't. It, there's so much danger involved, like <laughs> real high stakes stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is mad. I think anyone would, would predict that coming. But um, Della has now co- cottoned on that Roddy isn't going to say anything, starts pleading again and suggesting maybe come and help me out and Roddy's not having any of it. I said, is, is that our phone I can hear ringing? No. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> we ain't got a car phone. <laughs> get up as high as you can, Dale, eh? <laughs> you might get a tan. <laughs> Get you for this one. Yeah, so it's all been revealed now, and we're just on the edge of a cliff, uh, a proper cliffhanger, where the devil's actually going to be jumping off. And then we get the moment where he is essentially trembling, and the words coming out of his mouth are just full of fear. Yeah, I'm going. Oh my God, how bloody hell! So that's it, he's gone, he's out, he's in the air and uh, very quickly it turns out he's got no idea where he's going, he's not staying close and he is just going, going, gone. Yeah, I think this is filmed pretty well actually. The the, the headshot of Dale and then the looking, there's like a, a an upward shot of him and then someone, there's obviously a stuntman in the, um, in the hand glider but it's done really well, very seamlessly. It does really feel yeah. like he is in there. So, um, it's a nice POV shot as well of him like looking down from the glider, which is nice as well. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's really really good production for that, and kind of feels you, you if that was done poorly, you, it would probably take away a lot of the danger, but it, it complements it all really well. Yeah, I think you can have like you know you see people pretend in especially in older TV stuff like pretending to be in a plane or be in a car or bungee uh, or or whatever in, in dangerous situations and it's so easy to look naff but they don't try and do too much they do just enough it looks good it doesn't take anything away and it's funny at first you're thinking oh my god he's gonna jump and you're worried for him and then he jumps and you're like oh that one all right but wait a minute it's not actually the taking off that's the difficult bit it's the getting down that's the difficult <laughs> bit so actually no it's now he's screwed and it's like multiple moments of, of realization so we cut to the flat and uh, there's a really sort of sombre tone straight away. Both uh, Rodney and, and Albert are properly like, concerned. It's been 12 hours since they've heard anything from Dell. Um, always think about the difference in time here. Like, you know, we have mobile phones now and we always can catch up on people. But if you're somewhere and you don't hear anything for 12 hours, you have no point of reference, haven't had a phone call, you'd regardless of anything you'd be absolutely shitting it yeah absolutely i mean it's a it's a long time to be missing when the last time you were seen was just heading out to sea in a hang glider but eventually the tension is broken when uh trigger comes in and says that they uh did get a call and uh they went down to pick him up from a hospital i'm not sure we've ever quoted trigger have we ever quoted trigger before I'm pretty sure we haven't. So anyway, I'm pretty excited to put play a little trigger soundbite because um, Roger Lloyd Pack's delivery of this is insane. It's almost like he doesn't know what his line is. It's so <laughs> it's so stupid and so deadpan. Like it, the sentence almost isn't complete. It, it, it's a real mind bent. Um, 
But yeah, is it also a great joke because of it? What happened? <laughs> Has he broken anything? Well, they reckon the aerial's beyond repair. <laughs> so Dell wanders it. Well, Dell is rolled in by Mike, just looking in bits, bruised, battered, in a wheelchair, slings, neck brace, the works. Um, and yeah, it's it's a scary moment. And for a minute, Rodney looks really concerned as well and thinks, oh dear, he's really, uh, he's really been battered up. It's funny, actually, because I went the other way on this one. Like I said earlier, like I always think about what it looks like the first time. And I'm sure for the first few times I watched this, I didn't suspect anything amiss. But actually this time, looking at it closely, he's come in in his full suit and his coat, even his tie's done up really well. And I was like, how bad can you be that you've gone all that effort to even put a tie up really tight when you're wearing a neck brace? I don't know if that's like reading into it too much, but I was like, he's really gone into an effort to look pretty good for someone who's essentially paralysed. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I thought it was weird that he had all his clothes back on, but I guess he had to get from, you know, he was on a bus and stuff, maybe he'd be cold. But yeah, it's weird that uh, it, it looks like he's been picked up from a bush. <laughs> they've, they've, they've put the neck brace around him and just sent him straight back home. Like, he'd been in the hospital and had x-rays and all sorts of stuff. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I think Rodney is looking very concerned at first. But then what happens is Dell points out that he is paralysed. And pretty much straight away, Rodney is just not buying it. And this seems like a gamble to me, but he's he's completely confident because he just doesn't care. The quote is quite good. I might never walk it. And he goes, all right. Yeah, I think like we have alluded to in this and the last episode, Rodney is really getting um, more streetwise and he's... He's growing up. He's not. He's not the little boy that's believing everything's saying, and he's challenging all the stuff. And I think he just very. He could just take a look at Dale and be like, "Nah." And uh, yeah, he's just got the clever head on him. And I, all I have now for the rest of my notes is basically five quotes from the rest of the episode because they were all brilliant. And I don't know even know, know where to start on it. But yeah, I think we just start with Rodney's disbelief once. Dell realises that he's not getting anywhere. I don't believe this. I don't believe what he's doing to me. He's torn my world in half and now he's having a pop at me. You're right out of order, son. Oh, listen to me. Hospitals do not send home paralysed people by bus. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you are after, Dell? eh? A sympathy from Lisa or a disabled sticker for the van, eh? <laughs> I may never walk again for the rest of... (laughs) Although I must admit, I'm getting some feeling back. So Dell has arisen like a phoenix from the ashes. Rodney has called it 100% correctly, which is funny because if he knew he could get up, that was very brave to cut him so deep with what he said beforehand, if he knows he's only joking. Surely I think he's he... done that on purpose, though. Like He's trying to get the reaction to, to catch Del out. I think he's played that even better than what you've given him credit for. He's literally poking him with a stick, hoping that he probably gets out of his chair and threatens him. Yeah, and you know how that ends? It ends with a massive clip round the ear. Like, I, you, you got poking, poking a pit bull with a stick and going, look, I've got a reaction, is really... A, 
isn't really a win when five seconds later he bites your nose off. But, uh, you know, he's obviously feeling brave. I felt like uh, Dell when he got up, well, David Jason, when he got up and, and kind of attacked Rodney, it was really great and he looked really serious. But the reaction from the audience is so intense and there's some real squeals there. I feel like you almost see David Jason break. No, I didn't didn't see that uh, break at all. Is there something that you noticed there? Yeah, I I think so. Like uh, it just seemed because he seemed so serious at first, and then you slowly. And I knew that monologue was coming, and then I was just surprised to see there there was a little flicker in his in his mouth. But he he pulls it back, and then gets on to this uh, you know ranting monologue, the one we mentioned at the at the start of the episode where it had originally been at least twice as long, and he's so gutted to, that it wasn't. But even if it was only half as half as long, it it's still a very good little uh, ranting speech, and and beautifully delivered by uh, by David Jason. This is his own little um, St Crispin's speech almost. I've I've just while you've been talking, watched that back there, and and there is definitely a really obvious smirk from David Jason. There is quite brilliant actually. <laughs> I think he's pleased how well he's nailed it. Yeah, definitely. He, one of the things he said, he was up there for three hours. I mean, Jesus Christ, that is a long time to be up in the air. Imagine being up in the air for three hours, not knowing what's going on. You'd be so exhausted. Yeah, that, your entire body would hurt. You'd be hungry, thirsty, horrible. <laughs> so yeah, I did have a little search around to see if I could try and find this uh, this deleted scene or the cut scene as it were um david jason actually described it as beautifully constructed full of suppressed rage um the the (laughs) the bit that he goes on and he he considered it a comic masterpiece as i said before so it is a real shame that that it didn't get any airtime and even more of a shame that i we can't see it to have a look at it because you know for this episode which is already one of the the best episodes in this series and some of the 30 minutes you know we're cutting out a bit that that david jason thought was one of the best points up until now so it feels like a huge loss really yeah it's a real shame i'd love him to uh you know find an old script in in an archive somewhere and, and deliver it that would have been great or i'm not even i don't even think it was was it recorded but then not used, or did they cut it even before the the final shoot? This was a bit unclear to me. I think that they, I think it was recorded because they said it was thirty five. What I read said it was thirty five minutes, so they'd overrun by five, and that was one of the bits that got cut from it. I was I, it was difficult to tell because the way he talked about it was maybe it was just in the script and they kind of worked out it was going to be thirty five minutes, and therefore they made the cut maybe before filming. But I maybe. wasn't sure. It could have been either way. Uh, but it's great, and the. Uh, I think the climb, just the the ridiculousness of the uh, the climax of how he finally got down, I think is possibly my favourite bit of the monologue. Rodney, I was up there three hours, three bloody hours. I did loop the loop over Dimcher. <laughs> <laughs> the little kids were shouting at me. There goes a spaceman, a spaceman. <laughs> finally, just when I'd given up hope. I cluttered into an aerial thing and fell 50 foot to the ground. It was only by the grace of God that I landed on something soft. Yeah, I noticed the bruising round you ate. No, <laughs> it was not my head. I landed on a very unfortunate and very unsuspecting courting couple. No kidding. No, I wish I was. So, um, 
it's all sort of come to a to a head and we get towards the end and it just as it often does finishes so beautifully when trigger just <laughs> drops the huge bomb and i forgot about this part of it it didn't i didn't remember it at all and um, oh yeah Tr- trigger just just makes everything look so ridiculous it, it really puts all of it into context talking of weddings that reminds me lisa's invited you to hers well that's all i need isn't it hey it's another trip down to beaten yeah lisa's getting married yeah in a couple of months and for me i don't know there are shows which really play on moral things one of the things i always talk about is rather peculiarly south park south park is really vulgar and it is so juvenile but actually the moral things that south park deal with and the way that they address it they they really at the end of the episode show very cleverly the stupidity of silly things and things like prejudices uh, i can't say that word prejudices huh prejudices that's not it no Prejudice. Prejudices. Prejudice. 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 Prejudices. They do a really good job at, at highlighting the problems with things like people's prejudice and uh, all of those horrible human things that, that we have reasons to be, you know, hang our heads in. And, and they generally address it really well. And that's one of the things I really like about South Park. And I, I thought I would say that The Only Fools does that a lot. It is very funny, but we don't often get that sort of life lesson thing going on. Sometimes we do. But this is one of those moments where it does does do it. And it and as horrible as those arguments felt and that awkward moments for me between them when they were arguing earlier on is you know they shine a light on it and it was all for nothing like they they could have fallen out essentially Dale could have died because of something so stupid and so trivial and I kind of that that for me kind of hit me a bit in the feels especially considering I forgot it as well and I was just like it's kind of a bit beautiful in that that moralistic way really yeah i think all good classic comedies should be able to do that to a degree i think my my example in a similar way you talked about south park would be the simpsons do the same thing very often especially in the older episodes um are very good at, at handling these types of issues i mean it's mental i think even if she wasn't getting married the what what they were doing to each other is that old is that very kind of old school masculine thing of well if i can get him out of the way then she'll definitely want to sleep with me. And it's like, no, no, she, she's not interested in either of you. She's never going to sleep with either of you, even if you kill the other one or make it, or lie about yourself being a paratrooper. The entire thing isn't completely in vain. Uh, you know, None of this is going to end in the way either of you want it to. So it is tragic. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's summed up beautifully uh, as a great close by... A nice little chuckle from from Albert. So she was engaged all the time. (laughs) 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 What a couple of wallies. (laughs) God, I love that laugh from Albert. And I've been listening to it over this series as Albert's come in, trying to sort of seeing it it hasn't really taken hold he does quite uh, he does do the laugh a few times but now it's really 
properly becoming his uh, his signature as it as it does end to be. So I think we'll start seeing a lot more of that overemphasized laugh from Albert moving on. Yeah, it's very good. Obviously, you've got the uh, the Boise laugh as well, and I think I think things like having people have signature laughs and stuff sounds like such a naff, an obvious joke in a comedy, but uh, it's done so well. I don't think I think especially Alberts just feel so so real, you know, and it's uh, it you can't help but chuckle back at him when he chuckles like that. That's funny, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. But so we we quoted Dale's laugh earlier. Boise's laugh is obviously very well known, and also is Albert. Um, that that's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, so I was listening to Louis through podcast, which you spoke about a couple of episodes ago. Funny enough, um, I have smashed them all. Um, and one of the things that Lenny Henry was uh, talking about was back in the old school days. Um, he was at the comic strip or whatever they called it with rick mail rick mail is one of my all-time heroes of my entire life always loved him and one of the things that uh, lenny henry said is one of the best things you can do in comedy is if you can get a laugh without any dialogue without saying anything then you're gold and that's one of the things that rick mail did he would just go like and just like you know and he would just snort and make a little you know and and he would have no material he would have no written stuff and people would be laughing in hysterics because he could just make the noises and that's the same as these laughs just there's no material there buster uh john chalice and david jason are all just laughing and we're laughing at their laughs it's a great way to get laughs with no content yeah I, I i always enjoy the subtle physical things obviously you know cheesy obvious catchphrases are there's nothing wrong with that it's part of what makes only fools and horses uh, i'm all for that obvious broad stuff and but yeah when you can get a laugh by doing the le- the least amount possible um it it's great and there's uh there's plenty of that going on here there's there's every level there's a reason this is the most popular British comedy ever, but by most people's reckoning, is because it does cover that spectrum of both clever and obvious and simple and complex. It's all there. And I think this episode has all that as well. This is a really, really well written and put together episode. It's almost like a... It feels like a longer episode, like a mini Holland back, in terms of just a lot more going on uh, very busy, but doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this episode. It it feels longer than it is for sure. I remember thinking really early, like, how are they going to get to this whole storyline, knowing halfway through that they still had to do the whole hang glider scene and everything. I was like, it doesn't seem like there's enough time to get yeah. it all in, but they do. Um, but yeah, the, to bring in the summary of the episode, um, you know... <laughs> Once we watch something, I have an opinion of it, and then we talk about it, that the, the opinion can be changed or increased or reduced or whatever. But I think we've only proved to ourselves throughout this whole episode that it, it really is an absolute winner. And, you know, early on we were talking about top tens, and actually this probably is going to creep into my... It could creep into my all-time top ten. It definitely is in the top ten for what we've watched so far. And I'm probably going to say this is yeah. potentially in my top five, maybe even top three of episodes up until now. I, I would go that far. I thought it was brilliant. Wow, that's quite a statement. 
I think the one thing that mildly marks this episode down for me is just that I've seen it, I think, a lot more than some of the others and um, not necessarily enjoying the bickering between the two brothers just on, like, a personal level. Um, But in terms of objectively, as an episode of telly, it is outstanding. And I think any of the and if it isn't to enter a personal top five or top ten, then that's just due to weird personal preferences rather than anything kind of objectively. Because yeah, it is objectively an outstanding thirty minutes of, of comedy. Yeah, I think the whole moral things that parts that I was talking about as well just rounds it off nicely and helps to just eke it up past some of the others as well. So yeah, um a, a real pleasure to to go into it and and it's really nice to be able to be really positive about an episode you know and not have to to look at some of the holes and talk negatively about it so i'm really happy with all that looking forward to uh next episode what's the next episode bob it is video nasty excellent i can't remember a lot of the content of this episode all i've got in my head is uh, a quote of the young ones when they say it's a video nasty yeah, great episode of the young ones that one, uh, but also a very good episode of Only Fools. I yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I remember, I remember a couple of the obvious bits, but I can't quite picture all of it and how it all comes together. So yeah, looking forward to this one. One I definitely don't know as well. Certainly don't remember it as well as this episode. So that's always fun. Um, looking forward to it. Hope there's lots to chat about. So that only leaves just the music to go for. Um, do a bit of a curveball on this one. So. Uh, got three options for you, Bob. I'm going to let you choose the music on this week. Ooh. So we've got, we've got all sorts of mentions of music. We've got Eric Clapton. So you can choose Eric Clapton. Let's go for Bad Love, because this is a pretty bad love episode. Go for Roy Orbison, which was uh, what Rodney referred to Buster Murrayfield as, and that would be In Dreams. Or you're more than welcome to go for your uh, Sammy Davis Jr., tune that you liked so much oh you know i almost preferred the uh the 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 tom jones one actually but you know what they're all great go for that you can go tom jones or you're it's entirely up to you mate tom jones or shirley bassey that's a hard one they're both great and they're quite different let's go for tom jones let's go for the voice excellent tom jones singing i who have nothing excellent well there it is you've done it chosen your first music love it wow what a moment uh, thanks everyone um, probably a longer episode again we've, we've definitely been getting a bit carried away uh, these last few but as these episodes get better and better and they just are uh, it's just easier and easier to talk about them so hopefully we're still holding your interest and you join us again next week for Video Nasty thanks again Bob pleasure as always thoroughly enjoyed it mate see you next time cheers everyone Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, forward slash OnlyFoolsBrothers, or on Twitter, we're at OnlyFoolsBros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at OnlyFoolsBrothers at gmail.com. Also, really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye. She buys your diamonds. Right. Sparkling diamonds